Um, we are finishing up our series on stewardship, and, and we've been talking about this idea that, that the, the resources that we have, the money, the, the job, the other things, the possessions that we have, they're not our own. That these are things that, that God has given to us with a purpose, right? Your money, or the money that you have is not inert. It's not without purpose. It's not without uh, God's intention behind it. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, we can't shop except at Christian bookstores or something like weird like that. But what it does mean is that, that we need to be intentional about the way that we steward or use the money that God has given us. We need to be good stewards of our time, good stewards of our other resources. And, and at, at its core, it means that we trust God enough to use money the way God would have us use it. And we use money in a way that shows that money is not our God, but, but God is our God. So we've been talking about that. And today, I'm excited to end on, on this note because I think it's, I hope it's going to be an encouragement. But we're going to see that we can trust Jesus because he's an abundantly good and abundantly giving God. So open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. We're going to be in the last section, 32 through 39. And let's stand as we read God's word together. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have... disciples said to him, where are we going? Such a desolate place to feed so And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men, besides the women and children. And after sending away the crowd, he got into the boat and went to the region. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us this self-revelation, that you've not left us without direction, without an understanding of who you are, who we are, and what, what our role is in this world. Lord, I pray that you would not only help us to understand what your word has to say, but that you would satisfy us. Jesus, that you would satisfy us. Father, we, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be here, that you would illuminate what your word says, that you would press into it uh, the power that transforms and that you would, you would transform our hearts. Be with us now as we study your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Still trying to figure out the best way to do that. Before we look at the passage directly, I want to talk just a brief moment about reading your Bible. It's important to read your Bible. We all know that. And, and one of the things that's really helpful is to to step back and realize that the Bible is not just some sort of mystical book. Sometimes when we 
pick up a Bible, you know, especially because you don't really go to the store and you buy like leather bound Bibles with a gilt gold, you know, there's something unique about the Bible. And I'm not saying that there isn't, but sometimes we, we treat the Bible with so much uniqueness that it becomes this mystical object that we can't really glean anything from. But the Bible at, at its base level, it's not just this, but it's at least this is that it's literature, right? And so it's important that we recognize that as literature, there are different genres, different kinds of writings, and different kinds of writings have different rules of understanding and interpreting. Now, we understand this naturally when we think about our own lives. When you go to work, maybe you work uh, and, and you, get, you get an email, you don't read that email, hopefully, from your employee, uh, like a fellow employee or a coworker, like it's a, a love poem, unless that's your spouse and it's a love poem. <laughs> but you don't, you don't start to, you know, the deliverables need to come by next Wednesday, and you're like, deliverables, like deliverables of love? No, you just read it like an email. It's, it's prose. It's very straightforward. It's factual. It's, it's propositional in nature. At the same time, when Valentine's comes around, husbands, we don't write prose to our wives. Wife, you, you're my wife. I have committed myself, and I did so July 1st, 2006, around 1 o'clock p.m., that was a thing that happened, right? That's, no, she wants to know that I love, she wants to hear some, some metaphors that describe the grandness of my uh, deliverable, right? <laughs> that I love her. And the same thing is true of the Bible. The more that you can become familiar with the different genres of the Bible, the, more, the, the genres of the kinds of literature that are in the Bible, the better you're gonna be able to understand it. Now, we have done a lot of work, I think, in the epistles, the letters that Paul wrote, and those are pretty straightforward because they tend to be similar to our prose. Paul, he, he, he uses metaphor and simile and he uses other things like that. But it's pretty much, you know, I'm going to create an argument. I'm going to state my fact and then I'm going to put my supporting elements and then I'm going to, you know, go to my next topic and then I'm going to talk about some more facts. And, and, and we can kind of glean what God wants to tell us from that in a pretty straightforward manner. Now, this is a narrative. So there are some other rules that we want to think about when we're, we're thinking about the, Matthew is filled with narrative uh, dialogue and, and, and stories. And so we, we don't necessarily want to look for, okay, what's point number one, what's point number two, what's point number three? We want, to, we want to put our dramatic hat on and think, you know, what is the rising action? You know, we're just one step away from the drama club over here, or the drama room, and that's kind of what we want to think about. What is, what is Matthew's trying to create some tension in this, in this narrative and, and really, the tension is intended to drive us toward a question that's going to be answered in the climax, right? So you, you maybe think back to when you were in, in literature, in English class, and you, you learned about the rising action and the, and the, the apex or the, the climax, the, the plot like explodes and then everything happens. And then you have the denouement, the, the falling action. And there's not really a whole lot of falling action, we'll see. But, but we want to think about that as we read this together. So as, as we begin to go through the verses, I want you to, to think about what's, what's the action that, that's being presented, what's the tension that's being created, and what's the question that's being presented. So Matthew starts in, in verse 32, and he says, Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat, and I am unwilling 
to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. So Jesus starts off and he looks at the crowd and he's been ministering to them and, and there's, we'll find out at the end, there's about 4,000 men, so maybe about 8,000, somewhere around 8,000 individuals completely or, or altogether total. And, and he looks at him and says, you know what, we are far away, we're in a desolate place, there's no, there's no Wendy's nearby, there's no McDonald's, there's no Krispy Kreme, you know, in that sense, we're all in a desolate place here in Northern Virginia. Um, and... And he says, I'm not going to send them away without feeding them. Um, and, and I want to, to hone in on this, that, that Jesus says, I have compassion on the crowd. You know, Jesus did all these miracles, and sometimes we can, we can separate the, the acts of God from the heart of God. And it's important to recognize that, that Jesus was trying to do something. He was motivated by compassion. Now, he did some amazing, miraculous things, but there was a heart behind what he was trying to accomplish. You know, when we do ministry, I, I so appreciate what, what Elizabeth said. It, it's a verse that I think about often, that Jesus talks about how they'll know my followers, not by their miraculous acts, not by their theological uh, acumen, not by um, their, you know, rigid obedience, but by what? Their, their love for one another. The fact that they have a heart that reflects the compassion of God. And so Jesus says, I have compassion on this crowd. They've been with me now for, for three days and, and have nothing to eat. God has compassion on you. I want you to hear that for your own self. Not, not just kind of generally, if I could take the time and I knew it, I, I'd be able to, I'd, I'd say you name person by person. God has compassion on you. God has compassion on you. When you read this word, you need to hear that this is not just Matthew speaking to an audience hundreds of years ago. This is Jesus. This is God speaking to us. God has compassion on you. Sometimes when we pray, we can ask God for help, but we forget the whole reason that we approach God in prayer is because he has compassion on us. Sometimes we, we have this disposition towards God of, you know, here's our request, and we're like, You know, and there's a sense in which that's, there's an appropriateness to a fear of the Lord because God is a just God and we are sinners apart from Christ. We are condemned to hell apart from Christ. But if we are in Christ, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ as we saw in the baptism, if, if we've identified with him in, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, then it's no longer this kind of reticent, fearful approach towards God, but we're approaching a God who has compassion on us. God has compassion on you. And if you, if you don't know, if you can't sense, if you, don't, if you struggle with that idea that God has compassion on you, perhaps it's because you have not necessarily wrestled enough with what Jesus Christ has done for you. Or perhaps it's because you have not received and accepted what Jesus Christ has done for you. If you're in this room today and you, you don't trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then there is reason to be reticent and fearful when approaching God. But God still says, I have offered my compassion in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if you will trust him, as we're talking about, if you will put your trust in him to provide, not only physically but spiritually, then I'll have, I'll have compassion on you. So Jesus says, I have compassion on them. And it says, I'm not willing for them to go away hungry. So how did the, how did the disciples respond to this? 
Try and put yourself in this situation. Try not to, you know, we've heard this story. Maybe you've heard this story a bunch of times, and you're like, okay, they're going to be doubtful. But try and be in that situation. You're surrounded. Imagine there are hundreds of more people in this room, and you're, you're in the, the, the fold of the 12, and you're looking around at the need. Jesus said, we're, we're going to go ahead and feed these people. And you're like, oh, I didn't call Chick-fil-A. Was I spoke? That was not on my to-do list. Did I miss the memo? And so they're looking around. We're looking around. Now we're putting ourselves in the position of the disciples, and, he's, and we're saying, where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? There's no Krispy Kreme. Jesus, we didn't pass one. The nearest one is like Fredericksburg or Maryland. And no one wants to go to Maryland. I'm just kidding. If you're from Maryland, I apologize. I'm just kidding. But Fredericksburg is pretty cool. They've got like all the, anyways, all the foods. So they respond, and, and this is where we step back. Again, literature. Matthew's doing something ironic here. They're talking to who? Jesus. Not only are they talking to Jesus who created the world, they're talking to Jesus who one chapter earlier fed 5,000 men, which means they probably fed, he fed 10,000 individuals. This is actually a smaller crowd. And so they're looking at Jesus and they're saying, where are we going to, and Jesus is like, he's actually not, he's so gracious. I would be, you know, that moment where your kids ask you a question, you're like, just one second, just one second. But, but they're, they're asking, where are we going to get this? But the irony is they're talking to Jesus. You know, Sometimes when we pray, we miss the point. You know, sometimes, God, you know, the bills are coming up, and, and I don't know how I'm going to make do, and uh, this person at work is, is vying for my position, and, you know, I've got this problem, and, and we're, we're talking with the level of fear and trembling towards our circumstance, and we're forgetting the fact that we're talking to God, who is at this time just going, keep talking, as he makes our heart beat. Okay, you know? And he's not just letting everything into nothingness. You know, we have ideas, and the moment you stop thinking about that idea, it's gone. God's never done that with us that we know of. I'm, uh, anyways, I suppose he could do it, and then uh, I don't know. He's God. The point is, he's sustaining them in the moment that they're asking the question of where am I going to get the, the help that I need? But he does re- respond. Jesus responds in a way that I wouldn't have responded. You know, we, talk about it, we talked about it just a second ago. I would have been like, just go and read the previous chapter, guys. Get out your Bibles and read what I'm going to do or what I did. Remind yourselves. And that's a fair thing as a side note. The baptism, we talked about baptism. This is a moment where we can go back and remind ourselves. This is reading the previous chapter. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I, I affirmed that faith in the waters of baptism. There are moments in your life where God gives you some kind of a definitive faith-filled experience that you go on later in life and you say, God, I don't know where you are, but I'm going to look back to, to what you did. 
But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't say, you guys are idiots. And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. Now, this is where we need to give the disciples some credit. Because they had an answer. So the, the thought is that they probably were like, okay, what do we got, guys? And, you know, pull out your pocket. And like, I got five, I've got five bucks. You got three bucks. You've got two pennies and a whatever that is, Canadian dollar. You know, and, and they, they kind of pooled their resources. So they heard the, the, the call to obedience. And they did as best they could, but they realized that like, this is not going to happen. But they, they had an answer. And Jesus asked them, what do you have? What are you going to bring to this situation? You know, God, it, God could do whatever he wanted, however he wanted. He doesn't need me to preach. Jesus could preach. That would be pretty great. You know, I don't know how he feels about Ninja Turtles, but I'm sure he could make us all laugh. He, he would be great, but for some, whatever reason, he puts people in the lives of other individuals and he, he gives us opportunity to, to, to bring something to the table, not because he needs it, but because he wants to do something with our faith. He, he does, you know, it's two birds with one stone. He wants to, to minister to the crowd and to the disciples in the same moment. And, and the exciting thing is when you step out in faith, God wants to minister not only to the, the individuals that you're stepping out for, but for you. What do you have? The other thing that, that Jesus, that we need to realize, again, some irony, Jesus has created this situation. He knew where they were going. He knew where the Krispy Kreme was, and he said, let's go left instead. Jesus was not like, oh, I forgot. Man, gosh, what are we going to do? No, he created this situation where their faith was going to be tested. He created this situation where there was going to be need on the part of the crowd. Now, this may be somewhat offensive to you that God would create situations that are going to create need in your life. You know, if you're constantly feeling like I've got everything I need, I'm, I'm s- surrounded by all the things that I want, um, I never experience want, I never experience lack, that's, that's a dangerous place to be. Because the, the pattern of Scripture is not necessarily poverty all the time, but the pattern of Scripture is one in which God takes us to the, through the same arc of humility and humiliation that Jesus went through in order to exalt us in the way that uh, God exalted Jesus Christ. And you don't skip you don't get ahead to, to the good and glorious. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, there are wealthy people who are saved. That's not where we're talking about. What we're talking about is that, that God will allow us not only to experience blessing and good things, but he'll allow us to experience blessing in, in affliction, in suffering, and in persecution. And if you run from those things and constantly say, that can't be from God, you're going to miss out on the blessing that God has for you. He had orchestrated this situation. He had orchestrated this situation to do something. He could have, this is the same God who was like, you know what, let's, uh, manna, you know, whatever. Bread falling from heaven. Again, to stick with the analogy, donuts falling from heaven. He could have done that. He could have just, you know, snapped his finger and, and all of a sudden their, their bellies were full. They weren't hungry. He could have done whatever he wanted. And he creates a situation where, where they're having to, they're having to ask 
God will create a situation in your life will put, that will put a spotlight on your inability to meet your own needs for the express purpose of making you look outside yourself for provision. Let me repeat that. God will orchestrate, because he loves you, situations where you can't meet your own needs. Sometimes when we get those situations, we're like, God, where are you? And we're looking around, and God's just like, and you're like, hold on a second, I'm trying to get to God. Where are you, God? Come on, where are the passages on blessing? You got all the cows on the hills, Lord. Our, our, our faith has to be bigger. It has to be bigger than, than if I'm experiencing hardship, then God's not in it. Paul's faith was bigger. Every one of the apostles' faith was bigger than that because every one of the apostles, save for John, died a horrible death. And we don't look at their death and we're like, well, clearly God wasn't in it. Right? God told Paul, you're going to die. You're going to die a bad death. It's going to be rough. And, and everyone else was like, you need to turn left. That's a sign that you need to not do this. And he's like, no, that's a sign that I need to do this. God has he's orchestrated something where my faith is going to be uh, tested and it's going to be perfected and the people around me are going to be blessed, Paul said. Churches were, were established. The gospel was preserved. We as Gentiles are here in part because Paul looked at affliction, he looked at the situation that God had orchestrated, and he stepped into it. The disciples saw this circumstance as a moment for discouragement. Jesus saw the circumstance as a moment for God's glory. So they go on. You know, Jesus asked, how many loaves do you have? They said, we have seven and a few small fish. And so Jesus just, it's very mundane what he does. And he, he, he says this, or Matthew tells us this, directing the crowd to sit down on the ground. First of all, he's, all right, guys, just, just sit down, crisscross applesauce. <laughs> Having given thanks, he broke he took the seven, seven loaves and the fish and having given thanks, he prays, God, thank you for this food. Thank you for your provision. Thank you that you are our ultimate provider. He gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowd. How absolutely mundane was that? You know, there were no angels that showed up. Jesus didn't like turn into Gordon Ramsay and just start doing... You know, like, what's that over there? You know, loaves of bread. He, you know, he didn't create a, a well where all of a sudden all these salmon just start jumping out. Like, just grab one, catch it. No, he just, he, literally, he breaks the bread and he hands it to his disciples. And his disciples, imagine being one of the disciples. He's like, okay. <laughs> you get some, you get some, you, you get some. Oh, you get some, you know, but, but the first three loaves, you, you know, the first three breaks, you're like, this is, I, hope, I don't want to be over there because they're going to be angry. <laughs> but they kept doing it. And this was their faith. Was, they, they were just obeying in the mundane. They, they just, I'll just take my basket and okay. You know, th- so much of their, their, their uh, discipleship was not this kind of 
let's get together and read the philosophical tomes of so-and-so and let's talk about deep things and let's, uh, you know, shoot demons with, with spirit guns and, you know, do all these amazing... No, it was just, okay, just obey and feed these people. And sometimes when we, we interact with God and we think about things like provision, we're like, God, please provide a cauldron of gold just right here. Like, we, we want provision, but we want it in a very specific kind of way. When God's like, you've got like five cans of beans in that, in that cupboard, and you need to just pull them out, humble yourself before the Lord, and eat some rice and beans. And, and, but, but Jesus, it's so mundane the way that he fulfills their, their need. So this is this is the tension. This is the tension that's rising. They're, they're kind of stepping out in faith and they're kind of, okay, here we go. Here's some bread. Here's some fish. And the, the question that, that I saw coming out was this. Who, who am I going to trust to provide? Right? So the disciples were looking at the situation. They're like, clearly I can't trust myself to provide. I've tried. I've got seven loaves and some fish, some small fish. <clears throat> Who am I going to trust to provide? That's the question that, that this text, that Matthew, that God is trying to press to you. Who are you going to trust to provide today? First and foremost, for your, your physical, your, your stewardship, money, resource needs. But secondarily, and, and really this is a picture of something in the spirit, who are, you going to provi- who are you going to trust to provide for your spiritual needs? Your brokenness, your bondage to sin. Do you trust in your own ability? Do you trust in your own, your own self-discipline apart from God? Or are you going to trust in God who provides through Jesus Christ? In verse 37 it says, and they all ate and were satisfied. I love that verse. It's just, it's simple. But you, you can imagine I mean, this is, this, is like a pot, this is like a super Baptist potluck. They're all sitting. The kids are running around. You know, did you eat your food? Well, I had half of a chicken tender. Can I go play? Or fish tender, I guess it is. And they're, you know, it's, it's mayhem, 8,000 people. But they're all sitting, leaning back, full, full. And not only that, it goes on to say, and, and the disciples, I don't know what kind of baskets they had, but they had seven baskets. Like, this is where I think Jesus has a bit of a sense of humor. I mean, yes, he wants to build their faith, but also it's like, <laughs> let me stick your nose in my abilities. Yeah. <clears throat> yes, I, I can handle this, guys. And so they come back with seven, ba- well, some of them come back. I don't know who didn't come back, but uh, they come back with seven baskets. and They're like, oh, one, two, three. Four, five, yeah, over here, six, seven. Seven baskets of leftovers. These were not doggy bags, these were, these were baskets. And prior to this, in the other passage in chapter 14, he, they'd gotten 12, I mean, Jesus was a little heavy-handed at that point, 12 baskets, like 12 disciples, 12 baskets, get it through your head. And, and they didn't, so it's like, okay, fine. Seven, completion, done, finished. Come on, guys. Seven. They all ate and were satisfied. They didn't just, they didn't have enough. You know, it wasn't like, you know, mom and dad was splitting a meal so Billy and, and uh, his, his two siblings could eat more. You know, no one was like, 
I could, I could stand to have a little bit more food. You know, they had so much that people were like, you can have, I don't, don't take this. I don't want to look at it anymore. Right? Seven basket full of just, wah, take that. Eat, we'll eat it later or throw it in the trash. I don't know. Again, what are you looking to satisfy you? Because there are a lot of things in your life that will satisfy you in the moment. And, and this is, this is a, a sidestep. But there are things that, that try to satisfy you. And, and really, you could, I, I, you could define idolatry as looking to things other than God to satisfy you. And we all do it. All of us. Pastor David talked about nachos, I guess, last Wednesday. Nachos as a way of bringing satisfaction, bringing peace to his soul. I can relate to that. For me, maybe it's donuts. You know, you might get a sense that that's a, that's a thing that I might struggle with. Um, so it's like, yes. I'm going to take a sip of water right now. (laughs) But Jesus is calling us to trust in him to satisfy. You know, in Psalm 90, it says this. The psalmist prays, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. So much of our lives, again, this is a side note, but so much of our lives are, are spent looking for other things to satisfy us in the morning. Looking for other things to bring solace and peace and Jesus says, come, come, let me satisfy you. <clears throat> we have the denouement. They took up second, seven baskets. Those who ate, Matthew's like, and if you were curious, those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. Like he's like, I didn't even count. You know, the, I, the men were tall, I counted them, we counted. The kids, they just were moving around. We just gave up. And after sending them away, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. This was no small potluck. Jesus had provided a miracle of provision. When we think about stewardship, sometimes we start with the wrong thing. And we say, we look at our money and we say, oh, I can't give this away. You know, I, I, I can't, I can't. I know, God, you have priorities for this money. I know, God, you have priorities for my job and, and you have priorities for my time. But, but I, have to, I have to make it work. I have to make it count. And like the disciples, we look at our seven loaves and our bread, or our seven loaves of bread and our, our fish, and we say, I don't know how I can make this work. And Jesus is so gracious that he doesn't say, you're an idiot, I'm God. He says, just, just trust me with that. You just, you come to me and you, you entrust what you have to me and I will make it abundant. Some of you are in this room today and, and you don't tithe because you're, you're like, God, I can't give that 10%. If I give that 10%, I'm not gonna have anything for me. And God's like, no, no, if you give your 10%, you're gonna have so much more. And it doesn't make sense because when God takes seven loaves and uh, some small fish and feeds 10,000 people, 8,000 people, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But that's the way that God works because he's not just interested in our studiousness with our money. He's interested in our faith in him. He's interested in seeing us trust in him. What situation is God orchestrating in your life where you look at it and you see the lack and you say, oh man, God must not be in this. Is this a moment instead where you should say, yes, God, you are calling me to express my faith. 
I just want to encourage you. There's so many, there have been so many moments where in my life where I felt the same way, where, where I was like, I, you know, you look at the checkbook or you look at your time and you just say, I can't do it. I'm not going to be able to do it. And, but you go to God and I went to God and prayed and said, God, you know, you say that you'll provide. You say, you know, the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, they're, they're better dressed than me and, and you care more about me and you're going to provide. And, and I went and trusted God and he provided abundantly, either from the beans in my cupboard or the surprising, you know, check from the government or whatever it was. I mean, again, he, he's faithful to, to provide and the, the manner in which he does so is up to him. But he's, he's faithful to provide abundantly. I was excited to, to be able to give this to you guys because at the end of the day, stewardship is not about just pinching every penny and hoping that God will you know, meet you at the end. No, it's, it's an opportunity and an invitation to experience the power and the presence of God in a way that you wouldn't other, otherwise. One of the reasons that we, we call our, our missionaries and church planners and campus ministers to raise support, it's not just because you know, every nation wants to be a stingy organization, like we can't give you money. No, we are calling people to live by faith. And one of the hardest and most, most defining ways to do so is to put our, literally put our money where our mouth is. Please, I, I, I just want to encourage you, trust Jesus with your resources. Trust Jesus with your money. I'm not laying out hard, this is what that means. For you, you, you go to Jesus and you find out what that means. You find out what your step of faith looks like. But be obedient to do what he's called you to do and he'll be, he'll be faithful to provide abundantly. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that, that you, you have compassion on us, that you're so patient with us, that even though you might give us the same miracle months before, you would be so patient with us to do the same thing to show how much you are compassionate towards us.